when you consider Satan's record of evil and destruction in the world, you might feel that he's unstoppable. But remember, the devil is destined for defeat. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers some biblical perspective on the enemy, looking at Lucifer from the beginning of time to the end. Ultimately, you will be encouraged. Listen as David introduces today's eye-opening message, The Dragon. Thank you for joining us today. It sounds, um, somebody said spooky. Well, it's not spooky. It's real. Satan is the dragon. That's how he's portrayed in the imagery of the book of Revelation. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan has had a strategy. Stop the mission of the Son of God. And since God's Son was to come to earth through Israel, Satan worked tirelessly to attack the nation and her coming Messiah. So the victory of the Messiah means defeat for the enemy of God, and you shouldn't be surprised that there's a great battle about to take place in the heavenlies, and we're going to talk about it today as we continue our series of 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. We're in the last third in the last study guide, actually, and uh, uh, today we begin the message we've called The Dragon. Hey, I want you to know about this book that just came out that's very much connected with our prophetic series. The book is called After the Rapture, and it is a book that tells you what will be happening on this earth after all of God's people have gone to heaven in the rapture. We wrote this book to help people who do not know Jesus Christ, to help them understand that if they miss the rapture, this is what they will face. This is a book to wake people up, a book to give to your friends who who may they may make fun of the rapture. They may make fun of the coming of Christ. If they read this book seriously, they won't make fun anymore. It will open their hearts and their minds. And we're praying that God will use After the Rapture to bring many to himself. You can get your copy of After the Rapture with a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May. Make sure you ask for the book when you send your gift. Once again, the book is called After the Rapture. Well, after the rapture, uh, along the way, there will be a revelation of Satan. Uh, John the Revelator calls him the dragon. We're going to talk about that today and tomorrow. So we began the exile, who was John on the Isle of Patmos. And today, we're going to meet the dragon. Say that with me, the dragon. And his story is told in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. And as you know, I'm doing something a bit differently than I've ever done before. I'm telling you a story at the beginning that a friend of mine has helped me write to illustrate how the truth of what we're going to study in the 12th chapter would look like if it were something we would experience today. So I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to study the 12th chapter of Revelation. Golden light danced around the angels as they gathered in the second heaven. The vast assembly waited as Lucifer, the greatest and most beautiful of the archangels, made his way to the front. In moments, he would take his seat at the head of the great angelic congress to report God's latest instructions to them. But instead of mounting the steps to the marble dais, Lucifer took aside his closest friend, Michael, an archangel like himself. The Congress will have to wait, Lucifer said. Dismiss the assembly. We have to speak immediately. 
Michael made the announcement, and the gathering dispersed, leaving the two archangels standing alone. You are troubled, Lucifer. What has happened? Well, as you know, he said, I've just returned from the high heaven where God is enthroned. He has revealed to me his most recent project. He has created a new world. It is glorious, perhaps the most beautiful thing he has ever made. He is populating this world with a new race of creatures, and he has modeled them after himself. He will charge them with the care of his new world and infuse them with his own spirit. Well, Lucifer, you baffle me. Why does that disturb you? Why does it disturb me? I'll tell you why. God wants us to minister to these new creatures. We are to be messengers to them, protecting and assisting them in their little endeavors. We should be ruling them, not serving them. Short time later, Lucifer reconvened the great council of all the angels. He first explained the new assignment God had charged them with, and then, to their amazement, he spewed out his anger and disdain. We run God's errands. We watch and protect his creation. Why should we be required to forever submit to his will and stifle our own? We must not accept this degradation any longer. Michael, who was sitting in the first row beneath the dais, stepped forward. Lucifer, have you forgotten who we are? Like these newly formed earth beings, we too are God's creation. He made us to find joy in serving him. Who are we to defy our creator? As the debate between the two archangels escalated, so did Lucifer's rage. His rising anger began to infect some of the angels in the assembly as he ranted on. The rebels' cries swelled until a great chorus of voices echoed Lucifer's outrage. However, he had miscalculated his support. The angels who had cheered him were just the most vocal ones, numbering only about a third of the whole. But Lucifer remained undeterred. Assembling his army and leading the march forward, he immediately found his way barred by Michael, who had rallied the rest of the angels around him. The two armies clashed in a titanic supernatural battle. Michael's army drove the rebels back and hurled them from the second heaven. And the fallen leader heard the voice of Michael speak from above him, Lucifer, you have chosen hatred over love, pride over humility, evil over good, and darkness over light. No longer will you be a creature of love and beauty. You will be a dragon, a hated, loathsome creature whose deceptions will deliver those who listen to you into eternal fire. In an instant, Satan sat brooding beside a stream in the newly created planet. One thought obsessed him. How can I spite God and regain my power? After a great deal of scheming, he arose and called his lieutenants. He presented a detailed plan by which they could wrest from God the new world he has made. How can we do this? One of his minions asked. You told us that God has placed his own spirit within these two humans. That gives them power we cannot overcome. Satan smiled. When God explained this new creation to me, he said that if the human couple ever disobeyed him, his spirit would depart and they would die. Our task then is to get the man and woman to disobey God. I will deceive them into thinking he is not their benefactor but a selfish tyrant. Satan left his lieutenants and disguised himself as one of the more cunning earthly creatures. And using a mix of lies and half-truths, he seduced the couple into rejecting their creator. But to his consternation, they did not immediately die. 
You see, God had confronted them with their disobedience and revealed the pain, sorrow, and eventual death that would come as a result. But he also promised something their seducer had never anticipated, that one of their future descendants would restore all that they had lost and crush Satan's head. When Satan heard this prophecy, he charged a battalion of his fiercest demons to conduct a guerrilla war to prevent the promised Redeemer from ever coming. Throughout the centuries, they attacked the family, the kings, and the nation that was charged with bringing God's promise to fruition, but neither Satan nor his legions could keep the promised child from being born. It was in the reign of the Roman emperor Tiberius when Satan's battalion leader came to him with news that a man named Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River. What makes you think he's the one? Satan asked. Well, when he came out of the water, a voice from heaven proclaimed him to be God's own son. This Jesus is the one we have been fearfully awaiting. The devil immediately transported himself to the Jordan River. He arrived just in time to see Jesus walking alone in the wilderness. And for 40 days he watched as Jesus fasted and prayed. And the adversary thought to himself, this is the perfect time. He's weak and hungry. He'll listen to anything I say. To his surprise, Jesus offered no resistance as he approached. They say you are the Son of God. You are famished with hunger. Merely turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread and I will believe you. It is written, Jesus said to him, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Satan then took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Your angels will save you. Look at all the people in the courtyard below. If they saw such a miracle, think how quickly they would believe in you. And once again, Jesus refused. And finally, Satan took him to a high mountain. As he swept his arm over the magnificent view that lay below them, he said, All of this is yours to rule if you will but fall down right now and worship me. And in a voice charged with power and authority, Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. When Satan returned and sat before his council, no one had to ask how the attack had gone, and the fury on his face told them everything. The council sat silent until their leader addressed them again. There is no doubt that this Jesus is indeed the Son of God. If we do not get rid of him, every plot we have devised since we have been exiled will come to nothing. And a voice from among the demons moaned, everything we've tried has failed. What else can we do? Satan said, we'll have to change our tactics. We have to work covertly. If we can deceive the Jews into making them doubt that he is their promised Messiah, they will turn against him. It was the night of the Passover feast when the dragon made his move. As Jesus arrived at Mount Olivet with three of his disciples to pray, Satan persuaded Judas to lead an armed band of Jewish officials to the mount. Once there, he was to identify his master with a kiss. Jesus was arrested on the spot and taken to Annas, the high priest, for trial. At Satan's prompting, the high priest put Jesus through the sham of a trial, using false witnesses and trumped-up charges. Then he sent him for final judgment to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Soon the air rang with furious voices shouting for blood. Pilate yielded to the pressure and gave Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified. As Jesus writhed on the cross, Satan gloated in triumph. When he heard God's own son cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
and then watched his tortured body emit a last rasping breath, Satan's exultation knew no boundaries. He had succeeded in thwarting God's plan. Humanity would not be redeemed. Their champion had been destroyed, and he burst into a spasm of laughter that rang through the halls of hell. Three days later, while Satan was conducting a mass assembly for his fallen angels, a sharp noise like a fierce wind interrupted his words. A blinding blur of light rushed over them and exploded through the massive gates, scattering shards of stone and splinters of mighty beams. All that was left of the gates of hell was a gaping hole that was now belching black smoke. The force of the impact knocked all the demons to the ground, and shrieks of terror filled the hall as they lay there cowering, too afraid to rise. Stop your howling. Pull yourselves together, Satan bellowed. Jesus has escaped. He has broken the chains of death. What can we do now, the demons asked. We must face reality. Satan's voice was grim. We cannot win against God, but here is what we can do. We will leave a wound on God by taking down as many of his precious humans as possible. We can fill them with disease and grief and pain and conflict and for some, eternal death. In the succeeding centuries, Satan and his rebels enjoyed spectacular successes. But his frustration grew because no matter how he persecuted the Christians outright or misled and deceived them, he couldn't destroy them. In desperation, he set the stage for his last hurrah, an unprecedented persecution of God's people. Blinded by his belief that he was God's equal, Satan did not realize that everything he did was actually an imitation. His whole strategy was nothing but a counterfeit of his rival. And this pattern of imitation finally led Satan to manifest himself in a human form. He knew it would be impossible to reenact the wonder of the incarnation. Instead of becoming a baby, he identified a rising political leader of power and influence and offered him what he had offered Jesus, dominion over all the kingdoms of the world, and the man eagerly accepted. Satan provided him with an accomplice a false prophet whom he endowed with supernatural powers that enabled him to function as an evil caricature of God's Holy Spirit. Now Satan, too, was a trinity, a diabolical trinity made up of the devil, the Antichrist, and the unholy spirit. Satan's influence in the world grew to an unprecedented scope. Soon they overtook entire nations. With such power now in hand, Satan moved his two agents to inflict persecution on God's people. He released the full power of his demonic horde, and they indulged their hate in a rampage of slaughter and destruction. Satan, now heady with success, began to rethink the inevitability of his doom. He boasted to his accomplices, God's people, the Jews, are now a mere remnant, and ours include the leaders of all the civilized nations. We now have the strength to wipe their little nation off the globe and secure forever our grip on this earth. And acting on his grandiose vision, Satan moved the Antichrist to amass a human army of unprecedented size and march against Israel. What he didn't know was that he was marching to his defeat. Everybody take a deep breath. That's the story. And that story was written by us to illustrate the reach of the dragon from the beginning of time to the end of time. And as we look at the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, where much of this is originating, 
we'll begin to see as we just walk through the chapter quickly, first of all, how all of this is based on Scripture and how it affects us in our own lives today. You see, in the great drama of the end times, Satan's role is that of the antagonist. He's the villain. There wouldn't be any end times drama if Satan had not rebelled against God and corrupted his perfect creation. The role of Satan is detailed in the Bible in just one place primarily, and that's the 12th chapter of Revelation. This chapter presents four significant truths about Satan's goal, what his nature is like, what his vendetta is, and how he will end up. And interestingly enough, if you're an inductive student of the Word of God, each one of these four things is introduced in the 12th chapter by the word great. And so if you underline in your Bible, wherever you find that little word, you might want to underline it because it will help you see the structure of the 12th chapter of Revelation. We began in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 with what I've called the great sign of a woman. Here's what it says in Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, as you know, there's a lot of symbolism and imagery in the book of Revelation, and some people say, I can't understand it. And of course, one of the reasons we don't understand it, first of all, is we don't read it. And we don't read it far enough because, in my estimation, the book of Revelation is the most self-interpreting book in the Bible. Usually, if you see something symbolically and you don't know what it is, if you just keep reading, it will explain itself to you later. And that is truly the case in this passage. There are many ideas about what this means. Who is this woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet? Well, let me just tell you that all of the evidence lines up under this, that this woman represents the nation of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, in the prophets, often this was the case. For instance, Isaiah wrote about this. Isaiah said, as a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we, our nation, been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child, we have been in pain, we have, as it were, brought forth wind, we have not accomplished any deliverance on the earth. When Isaiah wrote this, he was picturing this woman in labor failing to give birth to a child, which described the failure of the Jewish people to bring about hope and salvation for humanity. And yet, believe it or not, after hundreds of years of disappointed hopes, the Jewish people had the privilege of bringing this deliverer into the world. Look at Revelation 12:5. She, who's the woman? Come on now, who's the woman? Israel. Israel bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. This remarkable statement captures the life of Jesus Christ in a very unique way. First of all, it captures his incarnation. Israel bore a male child. Jesus was born into humanity. He was incarnated. He became part of us. This teaches us about his ascension. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. Jesus went up to heaven after his resurrection. But it also speaks that he's coming back again. He was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. That hasn't happened yet. That will take place in the millennium. So in this one little verse, the prophecy tells us about Jesus being born, about his ascending to heaven, and about the fact that he's coming back someday to rule the earth. The first great sign in Revelation 12 is a woman, Israel, 
Her child will be Satan's ultimate nemesis, Christ himself, the grand hero of the end times drama. Now we notice the great dragon. Here's the next great in Revelation 12. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The first thing you notice about the Scripture and its instruction to us about Satan is that Satan has a downward path. He comes from heaven to the earth, from the earth to the bottomless pit, and from the bottomless pit to the lake of fire. Never up, always down. By the way, if you get involved with him, that's where you're going too. He takes everybody with him that direction. He has a sense of gravity. The pull of gravity is the pull of Satan. Down, down, down. Never up, always down. And the ninth verse here in the 12th chapter of Revelation perhaps gives us the greatest succinct description of Satan you'll find any place in the Bible. If you look for key verses about key things, this is one you don't want to miss. Listen to what this verse says. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. He is called the great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, Satan, and the deceiver of the whole world in one verse. <laughs> and don't get the impression that this means he's an ugly creature. When we say dragon, he has a dragon heart. But the Bible says he's a creature of light. You know, I grew up in the generation when people thought the devil had a pitchfork and he wore red clothing and had these things sticking out on the top of his head. And I've always thought, how would he tempt anybody? You'd see him coming a mile away. Here comes the devil. You know, he comes. <laughs> no, he's not like that at all. He has an evil dragon serpent heart. But the Bible says he's a creature of light, created in beautiful light to be attractive to those whom he tempts. Literally, the word devil that describes him here in this verse means slanderer. Do you know what Satan does now? He has an audience in heaven, and he goes into heaven and into the courtroom of heaven, and he defames us before Christ. He's like a corrupt prosecuting attorney. He tries to condemn us and destroy our reputation before the judge of all the earth. And the final phrase used in verse 9 to describe the devil is that he deceives the whole world. And according to the Apostle Paul, he's still doing that today. Do you know that the greatest thing about Satan is his deception? Have you ever noticed that when you get involved with him in sin, it always looks good at the front end and ends up bad at the back end. His promises are always greater than he delivers. Somebody says, you have your right to choose your kicks, but you can't control the kickbacks. Satan always pays his dues. He gets you up front with all of his promises, and before you know it, it's down, down, down. Well, that's not new information from the book of Revelation, but it's a reminder of who it is we deal with when we're dealing with the enemy. He's called the dragon. He's none other than Satan, the devil himself. And he will be um, on stage during the tribulation period in ways you cannot imagine. We'll finish our discussion of that whole subject tomorrow here on Turning Point. And then on Friday, I'm going to talk about one of the most um, controversial subjects in prophetic truth. It's called the Mark of the Beast. What does that mean, and how does that work? Don't miss Friday 
as we continue our discussion of the undeniable prophecies of the apocalypse. Well, um, we've been telling you a lot about After the Rapture, the book that is our resource for the month, and also reminding you that we're heading toward Alaska in July. Uh, It's going to be here before you know it, and uh, what usually happens is we have people that wait and wait and wait, and by the time they decide to go, the ship has sold out its rooms and they can't. So I don't want you to wait too long. The Alaska cruise for me is like going back to the same place every summer for vacation when I was growing up as a child. There's a familiarity to it. There's a comfort to it. There's an encouragement to it. And uh, I would sure like for you to go along with us. It's July 16th through the 23rd. There's time for you to make your reservation now. The best way to do that is to go to davidjeremiah.org slash tours. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture. An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with a gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. When it comes to investing, most experts say don't put all your eggs in one basket. But Mark Twain had a different take. He said, if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, you'd better keep your eye on the basket. A lot of people diversify when it comes to faith. 
They put a little faith in all religions, so hopefully one will be a winner. But I disagree. When it comes to spiritual truth, I believe it's all or nothing. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's approach to truth on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today. Today.